Good morning. It's good to be here with you this morning. Enjoyed our time together so far. That was a, a very good lesson about Joseph and uh, how he responded to setbacks in his life, and God used him and, and uh, worked through him to save many people. A type of Christ and all that's true. Very, very inspiring lesson. Well, this morning <clears throat> I uh, have a a study for us that is really out of my league, and um, I I feel unqualified to talk about it, to teach on it, but I feel compelled to this year. It's been on my mind the last while, so I want to talk about the Holy Spirit, and we know He's here with us. He's hearing me. He, he sees us. He knows us. So that's, that's challenging. Um, and I, as I talk about this, as we, we look at Scripture and, and different, different uh, things that have happened in history, uh, I want us to be amazed and be um, inspired be um, awed by who He is and what He has done and what He wants to do. Now, with a study of the Holy Spirit, um, as we look at Scripture, the Spirit seldom speaks of Himself. He's sort of the eyes that we look at God with. And we keep coming back to God the Father and God the Son but the Holy Spirit is working, and He does that uh, over and over again through Scripture. So I want to call attention to Him this morning and uh, what He has done. Now, it's such a large study, I, I have the, uh, the advantage of having another sermon coming at the end of this month. So I think I'm going to just stay in the Old Testament pretty much this morning, look at the Spirit work uh, in the Old Testament, in creation, and with specific people, and in some prophecies of uh, the coming of Messiah. And then move on to the New Testament and the amazing amount of material we have, how the Spirit worked in, in Christ Himself and worked through the early church and what He's doing for us today. So I think I'll be able to, to make that happen that way. So, <clears throat> what makes the study of the Holy Spirit unique to the Christian is that He is so personal. He's so big, but He's so personal. He's uh, by very definition, a Christian is indwelt by the Spirit. We're told that in Romans 8, verse 9, that if a man doesn't have the Spirit of God, he's actually not of God. He is not a Christian. So a genuine Christian has the Spirit of God living inside, motivating, guiding, convicting, reassuring, and much more. And he does it for millions of Christians all around the world at the same time. And that's what's amazing. He can simultaneously be blessing Chinese house church Christians, um, you know, maybe gathered 
this evening or last night, whatever it is over there, and uh, be blessing and, and ministering to Elder and do the past six hours time difference. And we're here this morning, and I think he has things to do for us. It is amazing. I'm afraid we're prone to take the Spirit for granted. I think I am. We don't think about Him and and the scope of what He can do for us. So, we'll look, as I said, first in creation and then through the Old Testament, some individuals and then prophecies of the coming Messiah who would possess the fullness of the Spirit. And then uh, we will look again another time at the New Testament um, work of the Spirit. My all is that I have the power living in me that moves in time and eternity, yet quietly reminds me of my harsh and hasty words, faultless actions, gives me comfort and joy and assurance of sonship, and will empower me to live a godly life as I yield self and allow him to produce his fruit. He's that big and he's that small to fit in each other. So let's get started. We'll go right back to the beginning, and that's in Genesis. And I have a prop for us this morning. Maybe guessing already what this might be. This is a world without form and void. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And we know Jesus was involved in creation. We're told that in Colossians. Colossians 1.16. He was there. He was creative. We know God the Father here is speaking the words. But the Spirit is here as well, hovering over this formless mass of darkness that was the potential earth. Some have said that the Spirit was the energy, or is the energy of God. That's an interesting way to think about it. Another another phrase I've heard was that the Trinity or that the Spirit is the express power of the Trinity. Uh, that's, that's interesting. So we need to remember that the Spirit is a person. He is an individual. Though he's a member of the Trinity, he is a, a separate individual in his own right. But of course, always working harmoniously with the rest of the Godhead. So, stretch your imagination. You've seen pictures, I'm sure, from outer space of this, of a NASA photograph, maybe, of our blue planet spinning in space, wreathed in white clouds, maybe, and illuminated by a perfectly placed sun 93 million miles away. Beautiful picture. That wasn't what God saw. That wasn't what the Spirit saw that morning. 
if it was the morning. <clears throat> when the Spirit moved or hovered is another, another way it says it in another translation, maybe even brooded in some other uh, translations. Darkness was the prominent feature that morning. Here's the emphasized uh, Bible. It says, Now the earth had become waste and wild, and darkness was on the face of the roaring deep, but the Spirit of God was brooding on the face of the waters. Now, hovering, well, that, that was used there in the, the first translation I read. Hovering is a sort of an aeronautic term, or maybe even an avian term, a bird, bird term. Um, you know, when a, when a helicopter hovers, it, it's suspended in midair over something, right? Okay. Uh, I have seen pigeons hover. I've seen hawks hover. I've seen other birds hover. And so that gives us the idea of the spirit sort of floating in midair around and over this world. And brooding, which is the other term we use, that has... Uh, sort of a an idea of thoughtfulness, pensiveness. If you brood about a math test, or if you brood about a problem in your life, or something, you're spending time. You're thinking. You're focused on it. Then there's also that brood hen aspect of brooding, where a hen would sit on an egg or eggs, a clutch of eggs, and, and hope to hatch and bring out creation. All of those are, are interesting nuances that we don't know. It's, it's too big for us to grasp, really. But I like the idea that, of the Spirit compassing this formless waste, big enough to warm the cold, dark egg of the earth, and waiting attentively to the creative direction of the Father through the Son, ready to carry out the mutually agreed upon plan. Actually, the Hebrew word for spirit, ruach, if I'm saying that right, means wind or breath or moving air. Air in motion is another way to think about this word for spirit. Remember, John tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It takes it's God's breath breathed out the words, there was the Trinity uh, working together. It takes breath to make words. And the Word was made flesh. And the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And creation began. And God's words were, let there be light. And that's when the light came on, and it wasn't just so just then, but there was a process and it illuminated, and things began to happen. And the Spirit was the, we believe, could have been the, the force that was making this actually happen um, in the, the week of creation. Light and firmament and sea and land and animals and everything that was created there in that first week was there, and the, the Spirit was very involved with the Son and God the Father Himself. They worked in harmony. I think there was mutual delight 
hath the order coming out of disorder, light out of darkness, and form out of waste. And it was good. So, the lesson I want us to learn from that is that this fear is big enough. Big enough to cover this whole world and much, much more. Uh, space, eternity, past, and present, future, all at the same time. The spirit is big enough. Okay, let's move on now. We'll fast forward a busy few days for the Trinity at creation. And when man was created out there on the sixth, whichever day that was, so I'm not quite sure of the chronology of how this all happened, but there was God's breath that was breathed into him. He became a living soul. Now the spirit that had been big enough to compass the whole world is focused on one individual, Adam. And he breathed into him. Genesis 2.7 is where that verse is. When the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, the man became a living being. Was the breath of God the Holy Spirit? I'm not quite sure. In Eden, maybe so. Um, God was certainly the source of man's spirit that is empty without God. And we can safely say that the life in man has God as its source. Physical life as well as spiritual. Um, in some of Elihu's comments in Job chapter 33, he said, The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. So, mankind received life through the work, the breathing out of the Spirit into him. And that has passed on down through us, uh, down to us. We are spiritual beings along with our physical. And God's Spirit can dwell on us, in us. And we have a spirit, a human spirit of our own that was God derived. Speaking about things here that are, are too wonderful for us, but want us to capture the the awesomeness of the Spirit and the personality, the personal touch that He has. So then, of course, the fall of man happened, and the curse on that beautiful creation, it grieved the whole Trinity, but it didn't surprise them. There was a way forward. There was a plan. The Spirit's interest in the world continued. He found individuals. He found people to work through. There's some verses there, early Genesis, where it talks about the Spirit striving with mankind as if he was trying to hold back the flow of evil. And then he worked through individuals. And I want to talk about a few of them. Things like in the Old Testament, the Spirit often worked in specific individuals for a specific path that he had for them, that, that God had for them, given selectively and in different degrees, maybe, to people, depending on the task they had. People that God could trust. Uh, we want to look at a few of those. Uh, Joshua was one. Joshua, uh, number 27, was the, the place where Jehovah, God, told Moses, this man, Joshua, would be a good man to lead after you're gone. He has the Spirit. 
And so Moses gave him a charge. And he, Joshua, was used in a mighty way as the Israelites came into the land. He was, he was courageous and brave, sure signs that God's Spirit was on him. Another interesting person that had God's Spirit for a while was Paul, the first king of Israel. When Samuel anointed humble Paul, remember he was humble at the beginning to be Israel's first king, so amazing things happened. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 10. You want to turn there. That's a, a very fascinating chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 10, that's when Saul was anointed. Remember, he was out looking for his dad's donkey. And after when Saul, when Samuel met him and anointed him in verse 1 of chapter 10, uh, one of the amazing things that Samuel did was he told Saul what was going to happen for the next several days, the whole sequence of events. And one of the most notable things is in verse 6, if you're in that chapter, where Samuel told Saul that the Spirit of the Lord would come upon him and he would prophesy with this group of prophets that he was going to meet, and you shall be turned into another man. I hadn't noticed that phrase before, but... Saul was to be turned into another man because the Spirit of God would rest on him. And sure enough, it all happened just like Samuel had said. <clears throat> he prophesied with the prophet. He showed signs of God being with him, the Spirit working through him. And all this was because Saul had obediently followed Samuel's instructions. So the Spirit can change us if we're willing, if we're obedient. But sadly, we're told just a few chapters later in chapter 16 of 1 Samuel that the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul because of his disobedience and pride. But for a while, the Spirit worked through Saul. Then we come to David. David, the breath of fresh air. In the same chapter that we're told about Saul, that spirit leading Saul, we're told that Samuel anointed David as Saul's replacement, and that the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him from that day forward. David had God's spirit. Scripture twice tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. When Paul retold the story in Acts, or he was telling the Hebrew history in Acts, he says that God knew David would do everything he wanted him to do. God had confidence in David that he was going to be obedient. We know David failed numerous times, but we see his humble heart for God shown all through the psalm and his genuine repentance and pattern of obedience to God. They stand out as signs of the Spirit's presence as surely as his victories in the war. Gideon was another example of someone who benefited by the Lord's presence, the Spirit of the Lord. Uh, remember the story in Judges there? He was visited by the angel of the Lord. Times were tough. He was hiding and grinding grain. Uh, but God, the angel of the Lord there, 
spoke to him and had a task for him. And when he moved in obedience to God's command, he cut down Baal's altar, built an altar for God on the spot. Then it was after that. He did these things with, with timidity. He was nervous about doing it. He did it at night. But then in verse 34, Judges 6, God sent His Spirit on him, and then Gideon accomplished great things for Israel. Deliverance. God's Spirit working through a man, an individual. So the Spirit can empower us if we take steps of faith. Those are a few individuals from those other examples, other places we could look at in the Old Testament about the Spirit's work, the Spirit specifically working through individuals. We can see, we can envision the Spirit who was so so concerned and brooding over the world still, a lost world now. Um, he was still hovering, we think, over that sin-darkened world, working towards and now prophesying of redemption. That's a big role that the Spirit played in the Old Testament. We have lots of very interesting prophecies of the Spirit's involvement in redemption. David again, uh, at the end of his life in 2 Samuel 23, these are the last words of David, and this is what he said about himself. David, the son of Jesse, saith, and the man who was raised on high, saith, the anointed of the God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel, this is what he said, the Spirit of Jehovah spake by me, and his word was upon my tongue. David knew that the Spirit was working through him. He felt that task. He felt that power. Ezekiel felt the Spirit. He could have felt it was pointless. Uh, there's some verses in Ezekiel 2. The Spirit entered into Ezekiel when he was called to speak, set him on his feet. And he was told that he would be sent to the rebellious house of Israel. And um, had a message for them, even in, in spite of the fact that they wouldn't listen, uh, they still were more responsible because they were, had been sent a prophet. The Spirit had sent him. That was Ezekiel. But there was a prophecy of a coming time in Ezekiel 36, he talks about a new heart that the people could have. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my ordinances and do them. That was a coming day. Instead of this rebellious and hard-hearted bunch of folks that he was ministering to, there would be a, a group of people who would listen, a people that would be, have a change of heart, a heart of flesh. That was the work of the Spirit. And the Spirit would indwell these folks and motivate them. Instead of a feeble attempt to keep a law, there would be a a heartfelt 
a heart-motivated change to keep God's ordinances and walk in them. It would be the work of the Spirit dwelling in a people. Beautiful prophecy. Then we come to Isaiah. Many, many beautiful prophecies there. I might mention David's Psalms too are full of, of prophecies of, of the Messiah. In Isaiah 11, I think we'll start there, there's a familiar prophecy of this root out of Jesse. And there shall come forth a shoot out of the stock of Jesse, and a branch out of his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of Jehovah shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of Jehovah. Prophecy of the Savior. In Isaiah 42, Beautiful prophecy again of the Trinity working together to accomplish redemption, to bring order to this dark world, even to the Gentiles. Isaiah 42 Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delighted. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry nor lift up his voice nor cause it to be heard in the street. A bruised reed will he not break, and a dimly burning whip will he not quench. He will bring forth justice and truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has set justice in the earth, and the owls shall wait for his law. This Messiah would have God's Spirit upon him. He would be empowered by the Spirit to bring this justice to the Gentiles. And then Isaiah chapter 61, the last prophecy I have here, the Spirit ministering. Isaiah chapter 61, The Spirit of the Lord Jehovah is upon me, because Jehovah hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captive and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. This person that was prophesied, this Messiah that was prophesied about, would have the Spirit of the Lord Jehovah upon him. And he would come and preach good tidings. Hundreds of years later, in his hometown of Nazareth, Jesus stood in the synagogue and read that passage. The Spirit of the Lord Jehovah is upon me. And then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began to say unto them, Today hath this scripture been fulfilled in your ears. Redemption was not. The Spirit's work and the work of the Trinity was happening. The Spirit had come upon Jesus, was part of Jesus, and he had arrived to begin this earthly ministry. So it comes back to Jesus, doesn't it? 
and it comes back to God's plan, and it's the Spirit's work in all of it. It is the, the unifying, the unified um, work of the, of the Trinity is redemption. That's the purpose of it all, and the Spirit wants it that way. He sees they all harmoniously agree together what the task is. They're working redemption for mankind. So we'll, we'll continue another time with uh, some of those New Testament manifestations, the beautiful story of the baptism of Christ and the Trinity being present again. We'll look at that. But for today, let's remember that God, the Holy Spirit, is big enough to have the world to compass the world and care for the whole world. He's big enough to brood over it. And he'll breathe his breath into us if we let him. And he'll make us free. He'll change who we are. He'll help us speak righteousness. And he'll redeem us into God's image. If we let him. He's a still small voice of God and he wants to talk for each of us. So thank you for listening.